The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad to have you with me today. And I've got a couple of different things that are on my mind. Actually, three different things that we'll sort of get into today. Uh, one, we're going to talk a little bit about Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders yesterday appeared on Fox News, and a lot of people, especially on the left side of the aisle, were upset about this. In fact, the Democrats in general have been urging uh, the Democrats not to participate in a Fox News uh, setting in any capacity. They don't want them to host a debate. There are a number of people that argue that Fox is openly hostile to Democrats and supports President Trump almost uh, to an embarrassing level. I wouldn't disagree necessarily with that, but it doesn't mean you need to ignore that audience. I'll have some thoughts about that. Also, the ACLU filed suit against the 36th District Court. I've got some thoughts on that and what they're arguing there. I think it's an important conversation that we need to have when it comes to criminal justice reform in our community. It's a big deal. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the Mueller report and what is shaping up right now. This looks like it is going to be an epic battle for information, and a number of different people are concerned about what is in there and what might not be in there and who might be in there. I'll have some thoughts on that as well as we prepare for Thursday morning's release of that report. Stay with me for The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for joining me for the show today. I do appreciate it. Again, a reminder, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm not hard to find all over social media. Find me on Facebook. Find me on Twitter. Find me on Instagram, Snapchat. Oh, who else? Oh, I'm on YouTube as well. You can find all the videos and stuff that we do on YouTube. Don't forget about that. And my email address is simple. It's thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. I would love some feedback from you. All right, what shall we begin with today? I've got three good subjects. Let's start with Bernie Sanders. Now, yesterday, I got home uh, and was watching Bernie Sanders on Fox News because he did a town hall. It was an hour-long televised interview, and despite a little bit of snippiness between the host and, and Bernie Sanders, especially over the merits of Fox News, uh, I think Bernie Sanders did a, a very admirable job yesterday at explaining how he feels about various subjects, taking questions from the audience, and, and making people think. Now, I understand that there are a lot of people that absolutely do not trust Fox News, do not like Fox News for a lot of different reasons. I have been very, very critical of this network since it was formed, since its original incarnation, since its original proclamations of fair and balanced, which I've never bought into. But I do watch Fox News on occasion. I try to catch a couple of minutes every morning just to get a sense as to where people are coming from, what arguments are being framed over there, what they think are the important subjects of the day, as opposed to what might be on CNN or MSNBC or any of the other news channels. Because everybody seems to have an agenda these days. Now, the Democrats have made a pretty bold statement in suggesting that they do not want Fox to host one of their upcoming debates in the 2020 election cycle. And I get that you can suggest that the network is openly hostile to Democrats. And I don't think that anybody could really argue with that point. At the same time, this is an audience that people need to reach. There are a number of people that watch Fox News and don't even necessarily realize that it is biased the way that it is. They might just like the presentation. Maybe they just like some of the personalities there or they like watching cable news and they haven't uh, found MSNBC or CNN to their liking. 
Fox News is a very polished product, whether you like it or not. And a number of people watch it. And in a number of parts of the country, it is the only station that's on. If you've ever spent any time traveling around the country, go to a hotel somewhere down south. You walk into the room where they give it a free breakfast or whatever it is. And if they've got a television in there in the lobby, it's almost always tuned to Fox News. Restaurants all across America, if they have TVs, are tuned to Fox News. Usually with the sound down, but you can always read the closed captioning to see what people are saying. Fox News is omnipresent in a number of parts of this country. It is where people are getting their news. And it behooves any candidate to get in front of any audience that they can if they're running for president of the United States. Nobody is running to be president of half the United States or one-third of the United States or whatever it is of people who identify themselves as fans of one party or the other. You need to get out in front of people. And if you learned one thing from watching Bernie yesterday, a lot of the ideas that he was talking about seemed to gain some traction with members of the audience, even those that weren't necessarily identified as liberal or Democrats. He may have opened somebody's eyes yesterday. There may have been a whole audience of people that were watching to see what sort of crazy things came out of Bernie Sanders' mouth and instead walked away saying, well, maybe that guy's not as crazy as I thought. Now, some, of course, are going to dig in and say he's nuts and that he's, you know, he's far too liberal too old, whatever they're going to say about him. But there just might have been somebody out there that looked at it and might think a little bit differently about him as a candidate, about some of the ideas that liberals are putting out there these days, about whether or not these people are all raving socialists or not. Bernie Sanders did the right thing. He got up in front of an audience that he didn't think might be that open to his ideas, and he talked to them anyway. Now, this is not an endorsement of Bernie Sanders. I've been very critical of Bernie Sanders over the years. I'm not necessarily a huge Bernie Sanders fan. At the same time, I think he is responsible for inserting a number of ideas into the public consciousness that are being discussed now, that had a role in the Democrats' victory in 2018, that we were not talking about in 2016, that we were not talking about in 2014 or 2012. Bernie Sanders has brought a whole lot of ideas to the table, talking about Medicare for all. The possibility that there could be some sort of a public option in the healthcare system that could benefit a whole lot of people. Now, it could be expensive. These are all things, but at least the idea is out there. And he presented it in such a way that made it seem a little bit less loopy than some of the commentators on that channel might make it seem. And remember, the commentators on all these channels typically have a vested interest in a certain point of view, and they will frame things in an extremist way, in an effort to get people to think differently about that. So probably everything leading up to Bernie's appearance on Fox News was them saying that the loony left or the socialists, they're going to push hard on the socialist meme over the course of the next 16, 18 months till the next election. You know that's going to happen. And it's not shocking in any way, shape, or form that they're going to do that because this is the kind of stuff that sticks in people's minds. So if you want to write off one-third of the vote, and never get any of them to even change their perception, then fine, stay away from Fox News. Don't do any interviews on Fox News, refuse on principle, whatever. If you think that's a good strategy, go for it. I don't think it's a good strategy. I think you find a way to get in front of every audience. And if this audience is parked in front of that channel, then guess what? Find a way into that channel to at least get your message across. Because many of the people there, it may be a waste of time. There could be 99% of the people who are watching that have already made up their mind and nothing you can say can change them. But that 1% that's watching that may actually sit there and go, huh, that's an idea I haven't thought of. Or that's a way of thinking about it that I didn't get before. 
if you can reach that person, that could be enough to sway the election. We have seen elections in Michigan where one or two votes are the difference between somebody being elected and not being elected. We saw how close this last election was between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in the state of Michigan. Donald Trump ultimately winning, but by a very, very small percentage. So I don't think any candidate, I don't think any political party gains anything by writing off a significant chunk of the voting population just because you think they're a lost cause. It's a bad idea. Nobody is a lost cause. Somebody, if they were paying attention, watching, they may disagree, but there might be a little nugget of truth in there that they picked up that they can latch onto and say, maybe, just maybe, if this guy is elected, the world is not going to go to hell in a handbasket. Because those commentators that are talking about the loony left or the crazy right and all this kind of stuff, their job is to convince you that if you vote the wrong way, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And despite what you think about the current president and the mayhem that has ensued (laughs) in his presidency, the fact is most of the institutions in this country are still plugging along and we're finding a way to get by despite the fact that there is a little bit of chaos at the top. Nobody is out to destroy the country. We're all Americans. We all have the same goal, peace and prosperity and a good place to raise our families and find a way to make a living. Everybody wants that. There are different pathways to get there. And just because one network seems to favor one side over the other doesn't mean you completely write off the audience of that station. So I applaud Bernie Sanders for taking it, going up there, doing that hour town hall. Because again, he may have changed some minds yesterday. You never know. But he had the guts to do it. And I think every Democratic candidate, if given that opportunity, should take that opportunity. And if they fail... When they're there or they look stupid, well, maybe they weren't ready for prime time. But if you cannot stand the heat, you have no responsibility to be in the kitchen at all. Part of being in politics is being able to take the abuse that comes from the other side. And it takes guts to do that. And you've got to build a thick skin. And you've got to fight back. And you've got to push back and say, hey, you're mischaracterizing my idea. Or you fully misunderstand what it is I'm trying to suggest here. And if you can't convince people or you can't get your message across, then you need to fine-tune that message. But you need to bring it to as many people as possible. And so Bernie Sanders, I think, just set, he basically set a standard yesterday for all the Democratic candidates in this race. Get in front of that audience. Let them know where you stand. Be proud of what you stand for. And do not shy away from it. Don't parse your answers. Don't try to equivocate. Don't try to do these things. If you are in favor of health care for all, then tell people that you're in favor of health care for all. If you think there needs to be a redistribution of wealth in some capacity or different taxation structure, then be aff- don't be afraid to tell people that that's how you feel. Don't shy away from your positions. Don't shy away from your convictions. And be brave enough to tell it to anybody that wants to listen. Bernie Sanders did that yesterday. Whether you like him or not, he did that. I think every other candidate needs to follow suit. And this boycott of Fox News doesn't make any sense. And I would say the same thing for any Republicans out there that are thinking about running in the future. Get on MSNBC. Let them grill you. Stand by your convictions. Tell people why you think they're wrong or right. Get in front of as many people as possible. It's that simple. I don't understand why people don't get this. And I'm not suggesting that everybody watch Fox News. No, not at all. I don't like what they do most of the time. At the same time, they are there and they're not going anywhere. And ignoring that audience is at your peril. So good job, Bernie. I thought he handled himself pretty well yesterday. And other people need to follow suit. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the ACLU suing 36th District Court here in Michigan uh, over bond and bail. 
And we'll talk a little bit about that and why it matters coming up next on The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, welcome back to the show. Craig here. Thanks very much for being with me today. I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about something that uh, the ACLU did yesterday. ACLU brought suit against 36th District Court, suggesting that people who are arrested for crimes, especially poor people, are not being treated fairly when it comes to arraignments and bond and bail arrangements. This is a big deal. A lot of these things are held by video. You don't have a lawyer present. A judge will set bond at a certain level, and if you can't afford it, you don't have money, you don't have access to bail bonds, whatever, you will sit in jail until you are tried, which means that you can't go to work. Many instances, you might lose your job and you haven't had adequate representation. There's supposed to be an attorney present when it comes to bond hearings. These are things that should be done. ACLU is arguing that it is not being done properly here and that a number of people are being arraigned without attorneys present. This is unacceptable. Depriving people, frankly, I think, of their rights. It is difficult to prepare for a trial if you are behind bars. Your attorneys can come visit you, but you are not free to make telephone calls the way that you would be uh, if you were out and about. You're not able to make money, which might help you pay for your defense if you are in jail. And bonds can be high, $50,000, $100,000, depending on the severity of the crime and what you're accused of. I get that. And in many instances, if they think that the person is a danger, they will not approve any bond. And that makes sense, too. But for somebody that is basically, say, accused of a crime, they have a right to a legal defense. They have a right to an attorney when they are being arraigned, when their bond hearing is set, when their bond and their bail conditions are set. An attorney needs to be there to help them figure out what's good, help them make arrangements to keep them out of jail. It is not fair for somebody to go in front of a judge with no representation. And granted, I understand the public defender system here in Michigan is stressed, and that's a problem in itself. I've talked about this for years. We need to do a better job of making sure that quality defense is available for anybody accused of a crime. And frankly, we don't get it. Some of these arraignment hearings take about 30 seconds. How do you plea? Not guilty. Guilty. Whatever. All right, your bond is set at this. We'll set a trial date for this point in time. I don't have $50,000, Your Honor. Well, then you're going to sit in jail until your trial. That doesn't do anybody good. That's a couple of months sometimes or more. Just wasted time because somebody can't afford to pay bond. And if they get into the situation, there's not an attorney there working for them at that point in time, that is not acceptable. There's supposed to be an attorney present for the defense. Now, I, I understand that there are limitations to this and that the caseloads are huge, especially in a court like 36 District Court. If you've ever been there, you know how busy this place is. There are multiple courtrooms, tons of jurors floating about. That means that there are a lot of people that are accused of crimes that are dealing with this kind of stuff. But most people, if they're accused of a crime, will have access to bond in some capacity. They've got some sort of collateral they can put up, whether it's a house, a car, something. But if you're poor and you don't have assets, you may not have anything. And therefore, you don't have access to the money you need to stay out of jail while you await trial. And again, that's unequal justice under the law. We've got a number of instances where this happens. Access to a quality attorney is hugely important. I know 
it makes a big difference in terms of what happens. But just because somebody's poor, they shouldn't be treated differently under the law than somebody who is not or somebody who has access to means. That's not right. Now, I'll be interested to read more about exactly what this case uh, is, is, uh, is looking at, what kind of uh, changes they're looking to make. And I'm hoping to set up an interview with the ACLU about this um, in, in the next few days to really sort of dig into this idea and figure out exactly what's going on and what we need to change about the system. But one of the things I'm going to do is to make sure that I continue to advocate for better representation for all people that are accused. We can no longer have two systems in this country, one where the wealthy and those with access to means have one set of defense and the poor have a separate one. That's not equal. That is not equal treatment under the law, and it is something that needs to be addressed. And lawsuits like this will keep bringing it to people's attention. But until we fix the system, this is going to continue to happen. And there's no reason that some 17-year-old kid accused of a crime has to rot in jail for a couple of months awaiting trial, keeping them out of school perhaps, keeping them out of their job. This is unacceptable just because their family doesn't have money or any way to meet that bond requirement. And certainly, at minimum, we need to guarantee that these people have some sort of representation present at their arraignment at their bond hearings. The fact that these are happening without representation, even if it's a court-appointed attorney, because that's what's supposed to happen. If you can't afford one, one is supposed to be appointed to you. But the caseloads for these people are huge, and there aren't enough people that are doing this kind of work. We've seen what happens when it comes to the trial section of this. You get a lot of plea agreements that maybe, maybe the person just, you know, doesn't have time to really effectively research what's going on in this, look at the evidence in the case, gets an offer from a prosecutor, and they encourage the defendant to take it because, well, going to trial could be worse, so you might as well just take this deal, whether or not there's a valid case or not. This is something that we really, really need to look at in this country. We need to do a better job. This suit by the ACLU will at least shed some light on what is happening in this court, and I hope lead to some changes nationwide, because this is not something that is limited to our city. This is something that happens all over the country. Inequal access to justice. Hopefully, this sheds some light, and we learn a little bit more, and we can make some changes as a result. We shall see, and I'll be following it. And so, look for more talk about this on further editions of the program. All right. Hey, just a couple of things that I want to add uh, as we wrap up the show for this Tuesday. Um, boy, can you feel the excitement? The Mueller report, at least a redacted version of it, is going to be released at some point on Thursday morning. We don't know what time. We don't know exactly what's going to be redacted in there, what information we're going to be able to see and what we're not. And that means that we don't know how much information we're actually going to be privy to. How much of this stuff is going to be clouded? How, how clouded will it be? Will it be easy to sort of figure out what's happening, read between the lines of the redactions, or is this going to basically be a series of blacked out pages where we don't have any idea of what's going on? Here's one thing that I have heard in the last couple of days, that the White House is issuing a 140-page response to the Mueller report. 140 pages. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that the president suggested he had been totally exonerated. And I'm wondering why there needs to be a 140-page response to total exoneration. It seems to me that you would have a one-pager that just says, see, we told you so. 
And if that's the case, and it very well could be, we don't know what's in there. Hey, more power to them. I'm really hoping that that's the case, that there was no evidence of any collusion or conspiracy or anything like that or attempts to obstruct justice. And all of this was just done. And and President Trump is clean as a whistle. I have a feeling that it's a little bit murkier than that. I have a feeling it might be a lot more murky than that. We're also seeing stories about White House officials who cooperated with the investigation, freaking out that their name may be in the report and that there could be some sort of retaliation if it seems that they were dubbed to be ratting on the president. And when I say ratting, that's the president's term, not mine, and that their lawyers have been frantically calling to find out whether or not those names are going to be redacted, what they told about what they saw in their time in the White House. Quietly, people are wondering what's in there. And you're starting to see some nervousness on the part of Republicans and on the part of the president's team about what the Mueller report actually does say when it comes to the obstruction of justice question and, of course, the Russian investigation and whether or not there was any coordination or collusion. Now, there may not be criminal evidence of this or it may not be something that rises to the level of a crime, but there are going to be some things in there potentially that raise question marks about the judgment of the president. That's my guess. We're going to have some open questions about whether or not he and his staff exercised good judgment. And what does that say about whether or not this man is capable of running the country? Is it going to impact the next election cycle? Is it fodder for the Democrats? Or is there something there that is worth investigating down the road? Don't know. I mean, there's opinions are all over the board on this one. And it was very unusual for Robert Mueller to sort of, I don't know, you know what? I can't say that it was that unusual. I can't say it was unusual for him to punt the question about whether or not there was obstruction of justice because he may have done this intentionally to leave it up to the body that is responsible for looking at crimes of the president, and that would be Congress. The House of Representatives specifically is the place where these things would be decided. If indeed the notion that a sitting president cannot be indicted, that judgment would be reserved for the U.S. House of Representatives. Will there be material in there that gives them more reason to keep digging? Will there be material in there that is embarrassing to the president? Will there be material in there that is embarrassing to anybody in the president's circle? Again, for me, I'm looking at whether or not there are questions about judgment and whether or not people made bad decisions. Maybe not with malice or an intention to do anything illegal or maybe even no knowledge that what they were doing was borderline creepy. I think there's going to be a lot in there. It's a 400-page report. Now, whether or not we find out exactly what it is, who knows? Already, it's been called, I I think the phrase that I like this morning, uh, it was a rainbow. (laughs) Because there's going to be color-coded sections of redactions. And somebody called it a rainbow of obfuscation. I thought that was a clever use of the term. Because how much of this stuff is going to be redacted and, and for what reasons? We're going to allegedly find that out. Uh, when when we get this report on Thursday. But I think everybody's Thursday morning is going to be spent reading through the Mueller report. I certainly know I will be. I'm already looking for some people that we can talk to and get more information about what we see. And hopefully, you know, by about noon Thursday, we'll have had a chance to dig through it and have some more information. But this is important, I think, for our democracy to see exactly what went on, see what this two-year investigation found to see whether or not we were wrong all along about whether or not the president was involved in these things, whether we were right all along. It's important for the nation to see this. Now, there will be partisans on both sides that are going to reject it out of hand, no matter what it finds. But I think there's a big section in the middle of this country that has an open mind that actually wants to take a look and make up their own mind as to exactly what was going on. 
And hopefully, we'll get a chance to see enough evidence in there to make a decision one way or the other. Now, I'm not predicting that we're going to see big problems for the president. I can't do that. I just don't know. But I do think we're going to learn a little bit more about the team, the people around them, the decisions they made, and the judgment that they showed. Or perhaps didn't. So Thursday, (laughs) is it just a bigger can of worms? Potentially. And I don't think anybody's going to be fully satisfied one way or the other. So our division on this will continue for sure. But just know that I will keep an open mind about what I look at. And I will call it like I see it. So until Thursday, we're all waiting. This is bigger than Game of Thrones, right? Thanks for listening to the Craig Folly Show on this Tuesday. Certainly do appreciate it. We will talk again soon. Look for me tomorrow. And again, don't forget, you can always shoot me an email. It's thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. Feedback as well. On my page, there's a show page on Facebook called For the Craig Folly Show. There's also my personal page. I respond to both of those. So feel free to leave messages there, and I will get back to you. I do promise. All right, we'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Have a good day. Stay dry. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarsalo. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian Delisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Mel Town from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.